Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Mastering Dungeons. I'm Sean Merwin here with the ever smiling Teos Avidia. Hey Teos, what's going on? Oh, he found. <laughs> uh, I'm doing great. It's it's snowy outside, not in your kind of snow, which is like you know the world has forsaken you, but a gentle you know spray of snow, a dusting, a covering. It's very Christmassy, and it was right after I went out on the weekend and cut our Christmas tree. And set out the Christmas lights and all of that. It was perfect timing. Just lovely. You made it happen by cutting the Christmas tree. Yeah, and I even haven't even watched Christmas Vacation yet or Better Off Dead. So, I mean, I can only imagine what snow is going to come on its way. There you go. It'll be, you get six feet of snow then. <laughs> I hope so. And $2. Well, do it, do it one at a time. You know, watch one, then give it a couple of days so you don't get too much snow. That's good. That's a good plan. That's Buffalo logic right there. Exactly, exactly. So we are in the festive giving mood. So we are going to give you a podcast festively. That's right. And we will start by answering some questions from our listeners. The first comes from Mastodon. Yes, we are on <laughs> Mastodon now. So he, the, the, the first question is, are we getting a toot bag segment? And I assume that is a Mastodon thing. Yeah, apparently somehow they ended up switching from posts to toots off of some crazy dare or something. And so they are called Mastodon toots. I mean, toot bag does sound pretty appropriate for the kind of things we do on the show. This is this is true. I am adding that to the show notes right now. So we now have the tweet bag, toot bag, Patreon <laughs> missive section. Perfect. Uh, but the actual question, uh, it's from... Kyle Lente, I, I will pronounce it that way. I apologize if I mangled it too badly. Um, with all of this 1D&D controversy, do you think it's possible for the community to split like it did during 4E? Could a new RPG be born from 5E's ashes like Pathfinder did when 3E got the boot? Uh, I have a strong opinion on this, but I'm going to let you go first. Oh, oh, all right. Uh, I think think it's entirely possible it it is a risk i think that the the split to the community uh can happen the more and more that the changes feel unnecessary uh or even worst case undesirable right and so that's where the 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 accuracy of their polling of their being able to through the surveys read what people are saying and adjust the game accordingly makes a big difference. Um, we signed the playtest for D&D uh, &D Next, which led to 5e. Just a huge, huge change from one to the other where they would try out one idea and then a completely different concept. And this would help them really refine the end product. So the end product was, as it has turned out to be, vastly popular, right? And so I do get a little worried when I hear Jeremy Crawford say things like, everybody liked everything in the packet. I'm like, really? Because it's pretty early on in the process. Everything's great. Um, so I, I, you know, and hopefully, well, that's the case and everybody just loves everything. But um, in case that's not the situation, the accuracy of the survey questions of making sure that you're really getting that data back uh, will help prevent that because it'll be changes people want and then there won't be a split. What do you think, Sean? Yeah, M my answer is yes, there will absolutely be a split. The question will be how big is the split? So third edition was, was very popular and 
there was a good segment of the gaming population, at least that I saw, that was ready to move on. That was ready to move on to the next thing because third edition had become very bloated. It had become sort of out of control with the rules that they were putting out. So it was ready to move on, but what it moved on to was not very popular. So the only recourse that people had was play this new game, which I don't really like, or play something that fixed the problem of third edition by just getting rid of all the bloat stuff and just give us the game that we started with, with Pathfinder. So that's that was a perfect storm of making the split something that was very noticeable. With fourth edition, there many people liked fourth edition, but they were ready to move on from it, even though they liked it. But there weren't a lot of people who liked it. So when fifth edition came, there wasn't that split because you know people still play fourth edition. People could play games based on fourth edition. Thirteenth Age is a little bit in that vein. Um, but it never got the traction to become as large as D D because there just wasn't the there was always someplace else to go. Fifth edition was good. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't that large a community that loved fourth edition so much that they wanted to continue with it. With fifth edition, we're in a strange place because I don't think people are quite ready to move on from it yet. I don't think there was a need to move on from it. And a lot of people liked it. So we're to that point there where we don't know what's going to happen because we don't know what sixth edition is going to look like. And so far, what we've seen, it's not like the change we saw between third and fourth. It's not like the change we saw between fourth and fifth. Mm -hmm. So if people still like 5e, you don't want 6e to look so much different from 5e that people aren't willing to just take the small tweaks that were made and move over to it. And so from what we're seeing with the play tests packets, which we will talk about later, I don't think there's that big of a change that people are going to revolt. They'll probably just happily move over to play sixth edition. Uh, Assuming even assuming that it's not completely compatible, which is a whole other question that we will talk about many times over the next year. I'm sure. I think the only thing I'd add to that, Sean, or or maybe contradict you on argue with would be that uh i don't know that fourth edition wasn't popular as much because i think it it grew the hobby a fair bit uh while also losing some fans and that happens with any edition but i think that fourth edition had a real marketing problem where it basically offended as many people as it pleased during the initial marketing stages is what it felt like i mean i don't know what the actual date on that is but there were a lot of people that just hearing the marketing message of 4E were like, I'm not touching that game, I'm out. You know, mm-hmm. this is exactly yeah. what I don't want. And and that th- those are real dangerous things, right? You want to avoid <laughs> making right. your customer base feel like they're not wanted or like the game's moving away sure. from what they want. And there there is a little bit of that here, right? In that I think right. that the um, there are things in the packet that people say, well, you know, like wh- why why is this changing? And so there are a lot of people that I think are tentative and and but they can be won over and you can avoid a massive split. Um, if you if you make it feel, if if the audience were to feel like things are contrived, like there's a change for no reason, and you're not mm-hmm. those changes aren't particularly good, 
then right. companies could very well say, well, I'll play, you know, third party stuff and, mm -hmm. and stick mostly to the 5e I have and then just go to third parties for cool, innovative ideas because those to me are more interesting or more in tune with what I want. And you could mm -hmm. end up people with playing a lot of different types of 5e, right? both whatever 5.56e becomes and all this third party stuff. Which isn't particularly great for for the the company of D and D, right? For wizards, right? No, when I said four E was unpopular, I didn't mean it was bad. Mm -hmm. I didn't mean that some people didn't like it. But what your point makes my point, right? Four E was unpopular for many reasons. One of them being that the marketing was oh thirty. Look at all these silly things and how bad this game was. And now sure. we can move on yeah. to do to do a real fun game something completely different than the thing that you've been loving <laughs> yeah. for the last 10 years. Yeah. So, yeah. And, yeah. and I think corporations, people as a whole, as opposed to a person tend to forget lessons and hopefully they don't forget that lesson of don't, uh, don't poop on the game that people that you've made right. and sold to people. And, and I, I haven't seen them do that yet. Right. Uh, and the other thing is what you talked about people going to third parties. If 6E is just different enough that people want to stay with 5E, there will be third party support. The The thing is there, I highly doubt there will be one game to rule them all. Like there was with Pathfinder. Right. Yeah, probably if there, not. If, the, if there is third party support, it would be, you know, Cobalt Press makes their version of 5e right. and MCDM makes their version of 5e and everybody goes their own ways. And so that is not that is splitting the community, but not like it was for fourth edition and Pathfinder. Right. Right. That's splitting it, splintering it as splintering opposed to splitting it. Yeah, it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's for sure a danger. And, and and all of those things beg to me, a question that I've heard asked a lot, which is, well, then why do this? <laughs> right. So so if there's all this risk, what is the upside? And and I think that's a really good question. Uh, you know, th to, there's a part of me that always says, why not just have made the tiniest of polishing moves? You know, like what, what I would say monsters of the multiverse did to, mm -hmm. you know, Morden Canons and stuff like that, where it's like, I'm like, ah, we didn't really need this, but okay, you cleaned up some stuff, fine. And it's totally optional and, and very compatible. And so you can just buy your 2024 50th anniversary set and be happy and off you go while working on really a 60. And, and maybe that's because D&D &D Wizards is so convinced that there will never be a 60, um, even while they're partly making it. I don't know. But um but I, but I, I think that's that's my biggest concern. Is you just hear a lot of people saying, uh, "Yeah, I looked over these changes. Don't know that I needed them." Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that is an important question, and one as we see more and more packets come out, hopefully over the over the, you know the next year and and possibly a little more, mm -hmm. we will get a clearer indication. But you know, you and I have talked about this between each other and with other people. It, if if the reason that they're making this addition is they just need to make more money because Hasbro needs to make more money to keep their investors happy, then there's a potential for great stuff. There's a potential for an absolute catastrophe. Um, and marketing will play a huge part of it. And being able to capture new people will be a huge part of it. 
Yeah. And we'll we'll see how it goes. We will definitely be praising if it's praiseworthy and critical <laughs> if it's worthy of criticism. Yeah, for sure. Because that's how we roll. Uh, next is from Chris W. via Patreon. Hi, guys. Over the past year and a half, I've been coordinating a group of six to ten players in a biweekly AL gaming session. Awesome. We're all uh, minimum 30 professionals, so keeping a consistent in-person attendee list is basically not possible. As such, we've elected four of the players that are willing to run a session on short notice. One of the things I realized was that although we are exclusively AL content legal, each DM wants some autonomy over their corner of the world and their storyline. Can you guys please expand some of the regions in Faerun that have been designated to specific design centers, such as the Moonshade Isles for Bald Man Games or the Border Kingdoms for Game Hall Con? Are there more? Also, any other recommendations for running a cohesive experience for a group with rotating DMs? Second question, I'd love to hear you guys highlight some of the standout adventures from your own experience running AL for cons for 5e. Uh, don't be modest, Defiance and Flan and Ice Road Trackers were great. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you for that, uh, Chris. I appreciate that. So let's go. Yeah, I want to thank Chris for naming just yeah. things you wrote. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. Okay, those are really good. I really like those. Uh, those are at yeah. the top of what I'd name too. So... Let's give a quick history of AL because this will illuminate this question a little bit. Mm -hmm. So when 5e and Adventures League launched, the AL published content was exclusively set in the Moon Sea region of the Forgotten Realms. So seasons one, two, and three were set to coordinate with the themes of Tyranny of Dragons, Princes of the Apocalypse, and Out of the Abyss, respectively. But the content of the Adventures League adventures was set specifically in the Moon Sea region. Yeah, so it was kind of cool. It adapted the larger storyline to that specific right. geographical region, yeah. and you got to know. So it. you have, so you should have all those adventures uh, at your disposal, and they are not necessarily telling a single story. Mm -hmm. So you could pull in and out. You could, you know, have players and DMs drop in and out of those. Season four deviated from this a bit because it was the Curse of Strahd season. Uh, so the adventures started in the moon seas but then they went off to ravenloft and then they kind of come back and have some dual influence right right, right. Mm -hmm. but they they are while not perfectly a series they're they're kind of a series so with yeah. that it's going to be a little bit harder to drop it and out with season five the adventures league then got permission to leave the moon sea region and go elsewhere for the against the giants uh sort of sort of season yeah yep so what happened then well now al is all over the place right each season can be anywhere they moved around uh so each season you can take individually and should have a coherent story or be able to make a coherent story what happened when season five came and al left the moon sea region was bald man games needed more content uh to run D&D at conventions for Wizards of the Coast. So they got permission to create AL legal content that was now set in the Moon Sea region. Uh, oh, right, and, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. so, so they, they got up to, I believe there were 18 total adventures that were set in the Moon Seas. They are done in three adventure trilogies that tell a short, you know, three adventure story. 
So there were six of those published, uh, at least six of those three adventure trilogies. So mm -hmm. 18 adventures that I know of, each focusing on a different city in, in the Moon Sea region. What happened immediately after that was Wizards of the Coast said, well, Bald Man Games, we're letting you write these adventures. We're going to let everybody write adventures as long as they're connected to a convention. And thus the convention-created content system was born. So that went on for just a just a bit. And then Wizards of the Coast gave Bald Man Games permission to publish adventures set in the Moonshea Isles region, while Game Hokan got to publish... Uh, the Border Kingdoms adventures. Mm -hmm. So those those are going on now. So that's sort of the history up to this point with these different areas being represented. Teos, do you want to take over from here? Yeah. So I mean, the the, the way, and I think that's fascinating. Just to pause for a second there, because what it shows is just how incredibly complicated this all is, and how it all changes over time. And the whole point of organized play is to say, hey, welcome everybody, come in and play. And <laughs> how complicated that history is. And where it's like, we're granting you this place to write. Oh, wait, we're granting everybody this place. Hey, we're moving over here now. So, you know, the the a big part of the change that took place was moving away from this seasonal approach where most of a year was really around a storyline that mimicked a story, the main storyline that D&D was selling, right? Which was like, would have been your Spelljammer setting. Uh, and it, but starting with, with uh, after Rime of the Frostmaiden, they stopped doing that. So there isn't, you know, there's a Rime of the Frostmaiden season, but there isn't really a Spelljammer season. There was these short adventures that were on D&D Beyond for a bit, and that's it. Um, instead, what Ale now provides is really a couple different things. Their main campaign is Dreams of the Red Wizards. So to answer the original question, one of the things you could do is have somebody run Dreams of the Red w Wizards, right? And that could be a storyline that that person is running. But that is your central storyline. So it may even be worth thinking of two DMs that could run that because it'll have a fair amount of content over time. You have your region-specific campaigns, which are still Moonshade Isles and Border Kingdoms. And I think those exist in, because they're sort of dependable groups that are able to run these storylines, that are able to create good adventures, assign people, run them on schedule, uh, place them in conventions, test them, all of that. And so they're reliable ways to create a large amount of adventure content for people to play. So each of those could be a person that, that in your group that's heading those up uh, and running adventures from them. Then there are special arcs that show up. So Oracle of War is probably the most famous one where Eberron had, uh, I think, four, no, 20 adventures because yeah, it went through level 20 and some epics. Um, but now there is a Dragonlance series that's being written. Uh, there was the short Spelljammer series. So there are these sort of periodic short campaigns that will show up. And so someone else could possibly take those on and maybe run a couple of them since they sometimes are shorter than others. Or if they're long, then they would just dedicate themselves to that. Mm -hmm. And uh, although you say, you know, fifth edition, since you're talking specifically about the Forgotten Realms, mm -hmm. may I suggest, if you can find them, that the fourth edition version of the Adventurers League was called Living Forgotten Realms. And there are many, many, many adventures set in different locations around the, the Forgotten Realms. So 
when I was one of the global administrators, I was in charge of overseeing the writing team for the Munche Isles, Cormier, Waterdeep, and uh, I can never pronounce this, Akinol. Um, Other people were in charge of four other regions. So we had 12 regions total going, and there were like seven or eight or nine adventures written for each of these regions, plus core adventures that traveled around the Forgotten Realms. So while you would have to do some tweaking because they were fourth edition adventures, if you had a DM who wanted to tinker a little bit and create some content, you could use any of those. If someone's interested in Cormier, right. you could go grab those Cormier adventures and do your own little Cormier campaign with and people can, again dropping in and out as needed. You can uh, find them all online. I forget if it's livingforgottenrealms.com net com i forget but there there is a yeah. site that has all of these up uh and and there are some fantastic adventures out there yep so thank you for that question you you hit us right in our our sweet spot there although i haven't been involved in a couple of years so i yeah. sort of lose track uh of, but the, there are so many great uh of those al adventures that you know, look for the ones that Will Doyle does. You know, oh, look yeah. for the ones that Teos Abadia does. Well, the I, the, the I, season five of... ones were were all pretty well loved. Um, um, ben Heisler and Paige Leitman, who are yep. Master of the Multiverse folks, uh, they've written some amazing ones. Um, some other folks who, who are on there. Um, what I would say is, if you're listening to this and you have some favorites. Uh, post yeah. in Patreon what your favorites are. Or post on YouTube. You know what are your favorite ones that you would recommend to other folks to run? Because it is nice to hear different uh, recommendations from time to time. Because because everybody likes slightly different things for different reasons. And the final question it comes from Bram Baker on Twitter. Hi Sean and Teos. With the new playtest material, spell schools seem to become more important. Are spell schools a boon to D&D, one D&D, or an artifact that needs to be replaced with divine, primal, and arcane? This is a great question, Bram. Mm. We will be discussing the current one D&D playtest packet in our design and review segment after the news, and we will definitely talk about that then. So thanks for asking. You, you hit us right where we were headed, so we appreciate <laughs> that. And now let's get on to our news and commentary. First, breaking news. You can get free Monstrous Compendium Volume 2 Dragonlance Monsters right now for free on D&D Beyond. Teos, you were the one that caught this news before we started, so hit us. Yeah, so you get 11 free Dragonlance Monsters. This is very similar to that packet that we got uh, earlier, which was for Spelljammer. We had some free monsters. Uh, I'm sad to say there are no Dark Sun monsters that I could find in here. Uh, they do seem all very Dragonlance-focused this time around. CRs range from 1 to 22. The 22 is the Red Dragon Ember, very famous. Uh, we also have Verminard, the leader of the Red Dragon Army. And stats even for Verminard's Mace Nightbringer, the famous mace if you played those old adventures. Uh, we get the Erda, Gnome Inventors, the Walrus-like Thanoi, Trag Draconians, which when you kill them, they erupt into Sludge. Um, and that Sludge slows you down. Um, and then what else? Yeah, yeah, a couple others. The the Erda are neat. The Nevermind Gnomes, those are great. The old kind of tinker in the art for these are wonderful. So I don't know if these are monsters that got cut 
do to space or if they really put this level of work into just a free supplement. But um, yeah, you've got to go on there and claim it. And what happens with these D&D Beyond things, you never know when they're going to stop being claimable. So act early. <laughs> go claim this. There's a link in our show notes. Claim them early and often. <laughs> turn early, turn often, we used to say in third edition. That's right. So D&D movie. The cast goes to Brazil and brings back a poster and trailer. So the Honor Among Thieves cast went to Brazil for a large comic convention. Um, they shared a movie poster that depicts the cast hovering above the city of Neverdeep with a red dragon flying over Never it. Neverwinter. Uh, what did I say? Neverdeep. <laughs> Neverdeep. No, sorry, Neverwinter. Everdeep. Uh, a red dragon is flying over the city. And it has a large arena with red-robed Thaeans appearing to be the villains. Um, the trailer shows cast interviews and scenes from the movie, including new scenes like an Arakokra, Iwanti, Thumberchad the Dragon, Thaeans casting spells, magic weapons, uh, all depicted. A village resembling one from Icewind Dale, the video game, appears. Mm -hmm. uh, what did you think of this trailer? Uh, it was great. I mean, it's a nice splice between the cast talking about things, you know, and saying, oh, this movie, you know, kicks ass and here's what we liked about filming it. And they'll show things like uh, the filming of a scene. So you see the camera in, in the in the kind of background and then the movie being, you know, the scene behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and so it's a clever kind of way of making it feel sort of behind the scenes, but then you, you get these fully treated and developed scenes that are what you're actually looking at. Um, so they're, you know, diving into a gelatinous cube to escape a displacer beast. Guess that's a good trade-off. Stepping through a portal into a treasure room, uh, all kinds of dragons, green flame blades spell, uh, uh, the lava axe looks amazing. Like this magic item just dripping with lava. It's, it's really cool. So I, I was super excited. I watched the trailer and I was like, yes, you know, March, how far away are you? Okay, great. Let's, <laughs> you know, let's go. <laughs> awesome. So we have a link to that in our show notes. The D&D &D playtest is now removing us from race. There was a blog post on D&D Beyond where Wizard States uh, tells us about the changes they've made since 2014 where they use the term race only as a game mechanic. And starting in 2020, um, they separated ability score bonuses or penalties from race. And now with the 1D&D feedback, uh, being able to create a better dialogue on this, they're doing a few other things. And they quote, have made the decision to move on from using the term race uh, everywhere in 1D&D. And we do not intend to return to that term. The term species was chosen in close coordination with multiple outside cultural consultants. And in the uh, survey that will go live on the 21st of December, players will be able to give feedback on the term species along with everything else that was presented in the playtest material. Yeah, I really Chaos like that I'm they said, yeah. I love that they said, race is off the table, we're done with that, right? Like, mm -hmm. very nice, because sometimes, Sometimes things are presented in a little wishy-washy mode. And so it was very good that they gave that clarity. That that term is done. Is it species? You know, let's talk. And I, I liked uh, Richard Baker proposed kind, which I thought was pretty good. So like kindred and, and, you can, and, and you can do, you know, kin and things like that. 
um, and a, a number of other ones have been talked about, but I think it's all, you know, whatever we can, we can quibble about which one it comes out to be. The good thing is D and D has finally joined many other companies in abandoning the term of race. And, and I'm, I'm glad they made that change. So mm-hmm. me too. So you will be able to get yourself heard on that in the next survey that comes out. Speaking of surveys, Watsi has shared their D&D 1 survey results that have been uh, gathered so far. I did not watch this video, but Teos oh. did, and he's going to tell you all about it. Yeah, it's kind of like, uh, the, you know, if you if you ask your kid to um, to tell you what they got on their report card and you promise to never look at it. This is sort of what it felt like because it was like, <laughs> I got all A's, mommy. And it's like, OK, great. Congratulations. I guess you're doing everything right. Um, but there, there was more than that. Um, the, the survey had over 40,000 engagements, 39,000 finished it, uh, which I'm, I'm impressed that only a thousand dropped out because boy, that was long. And I actually heard a lot of people say to me, I couldn't finish it. Um, now they had said earlier that there were 175,000 play testers. So that's a, that's a big drop. Um, you know, that, that they had for D&D Next. Uh, and, and, but they had said that more than that number had downloaded the one D&D. So there's sort of a, you know, an interesting, how do you get more people to take the survey? I think it would be a good question to ask and, and, and to finish it. Um, I think the surveys could use some work. I, I don't think these are particularly greatly designed surveys. They said that everything scored above 80%. And usually what you do, I tried to ask Jeremy Crawford, but he he didn't answer uh, when I asked him via Twitter, um, how they log that. And the the typical way you do it from survey design, I asked my wife because she knows a lot about survey design, uh, is you would take the two positives, so the things above the neutral, so there are two categories that are above the neutral level, and you would consider that to be positive and see what percentage of respondents gave you that. So probably what Jeremy is saying is that, you know, more than 80% of all people chose the top two choices for everything, which is really quite amazing. Uh, but it makes me wonder, are you asking the right questions, right? And, and the very first thing the video started with was with saying, we heard a resounding love for feats at first level, 90% positive, higher than anything else. And I had to think to myself, did you ask me that question? And since I'd done a video on the survey, I went back and looked at it. And I'm like, oh, that question? That's the question where you were asking me whether I wanted feats at level one? Because you didn't say, would you like feats at level one? You right. had things like equipment and feats. And I don't think you were asking me, do you want equipment right at level one? And so I thought it was a very kind of interesting example of of sort of all of this video that I think, you know, I'm a little concerned about how rosy it's being painted. You know, we are the customers, not Hasbro investors. Um, you know, it, it's fine if you want to give us a little bit of the marketing angle, but I want to make sure, you know, we want to feel like that the team is is seeing the things that need work and is asking the right questions and that they aren't kind of clouded by what they would like to, to see. Right. Um, yep. They talked a little bit about the percentages. I thought that was sort of interesting. Did you see that, Sean? I did not. 
So they said that 80% or higher means the community wants exactly what's been provided. So therefore, anything they do to develop it, they're very careful not to change it too much because it's good. 70% okay. means the community likes it, but minor to moderate tinkering is needed and they've got more freedom to sort of play around and, and improve it. 60% is salvageable, but really needs aspects of the design reconsidered. Below 60%, it's unlikely that anything will be used. And they said if it's below 40%, the community has cast disintegrate on it. <laughs> nice. Um, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, the two things that that came up in the 60s were the Ardling and Dragonborn. Um, with the Dragonborn going scoring lower than the Ardling. And one thing that was nice here is Jeremy said that this is where they looked at what had been written in the comments. So that was a question a lot of people I know had asked me is, do you think they're even reading these comments? Well, the answer is yes. And, and that's exactly what I expected. Like someone has the task of reading this, you know, use that space to your advantage to answer questions like, do you want feats at first level? Um, and so he, Jeremy said that the feedback listed the breath weapon and confusion between fizz bands and other versions. So they redid it based on that. Uh, and they promised things we've already seen, like a new revised universal core dragonborn. Uh, with a fifth level ability. Uh, the Ardling was trying to be too many things. And so they leaned more towards being a beast person than the sort of celestial aspect, which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, they gave us scores on various uh, species now. Uh, dwarves, orc, tiefling, elf did well. The, the human, I think, was the highest at 83%. The others were 80, 81. Gnome and halfling were 78%. And... Um, they, it was interesting they said that the next UA is shorter, which it is, but then they'll again be big after that. So, you know, if the thought was, oh, maybe they'll keep things a little smaller so we can all digest it and answer the survey carefully. Well, you know, maybe, maybe not. Um, they again told us we'll get 48 subclasses, four for each of the 12 classes to play test. No artificer will be there. Um, it's not, you know, core there. Um They'll have new weapon options for the warrior groups. So, and I thought this is interesting because later Jeremy in the video was discussing why great weapon master and sharpshooter changed. And he said that they want warrior classes to rely on their class features, including these new weapon options that we will see in the future for their main damage output. Feats should not be part of that, you know, where you get your damage from which I thought was a, a good design goal. Um, light weapons may see, may see tweaks. They don't love how it uses up your bonus action. Um, there'll be a new subsystem for managing your home base if DMs and players want the option. Uh, it's called the Bastion system. So, of course, Sean and I have to be wondering, will they take any of our ideas from Ack Inc.? <laughs> do they yeah. know what we wrote for Ack Inc.? Uh, they probably do. Um, and then there'll be new encounter building rules aimed at making it easier to prep. I'm curious what that is. And new monster mm -hmm. customization options. And I wonder what that really means. Um, yeah, I have a couple of guesses, but I'll just keep in myself and see what comes. They said that class lists, I think here they meant the spell lists. Uh, well, actually, I'm not sure if they meant the spell list or they mean the sort of expert lists. Uh, yeah, ex expert priest. Probably they mean that, yeah. Expert warrior, yeah. So those may or may not go away and it's being discussed. So it's a very interesting awesome. video. Uh, there are also several videos that go with the latest playtest packet too that further add to that. Awesome. Thank you for taking one for the team and, and uh, summarizing all that. 
my only thought on the surveys is who is taking the survey? Probably the people taking the survey are the people who are super motivated, um, right? The, the, the people who love to dig into the mechanics and not the people who are going to be new players, not the people who are going to have to teach new players how to play. And I hope that they recognize that when they say, oh, 80% of the people want feats at first level. Yes, I'm sure that 80% of the people who are already super invested in the game want feats at first level. Yeah. Um, I I could have told you that without mm-hmm. having the survey taken. I could go up to 90%, I bet. <laughs> yeah, it, it may be a little better, you know, the fact that it's through D&D Beyond, because if you have, you know, a lot of times what happens is only the invested DM would follow any kind of social media, anything. And so... It's a little helpful that in D&D Beyond, you probably have the person who's a casual player, but part of a more hardcore group who is using D&D Beyond, clicks on the link and goes, all right. But then the question is, do they finish this survey or do they even dedicate the time to it? Because because it it is a lot. I mean, I don't know anybody who took that last survey and said, yeah, that was easy. Like, no, it's a long, I mean, it's a lot of your time you're dedicating, right? It can be an hour of your time that you're dedicating to filling this thing out if you're going to do it intelligently and compare what are you asking me about? How did it change from the core? All that. Yeah. Yep. So we are going to talk, like I said, about the one D and D play test packet coming up soon. But first we also want to talk about acquisitions incorporated the end or the beginning. What? Packs unplugged just ended and Omen drawn certainty drawn Evelyn Marthane and Strix Beestinger gathered for one last Acquisitions Incorporated game with DM Jeremy Crawford at PAX Unplugged. Many twists and turns, but none as great as the ending, which saw Omen make yet another bad choice. Who would have thought? <laughs> uh, his daughter Certainty used a magic item tied to Timora, the goddess of luck, to send Certainty back in time 14 years to the start of Acquisitions Incorporated, perhaps to make better choices. And thus it was revealed that this was the end of the 14-year Ack Inc. campaign. But I'm going to let Teos take over with that. Yeah, to quote Jeremy, he says, Join us next year as we discover how certainty and all others who will join her attempt to right all those wrongs that have happened. And then Jerry, who plays Omen Drawn, played a recording, uh, which you can see via the, the link in our show notes, um, which shows miniatures, dioramas, and artifacts that reflect all of the many campaigns since 2008. And the video concludes with Jim Dark Magic uh, in costume, promising a Kickstarter next year for this new show. And fans quickly notice that the very first shot reveals a table and a supplement on it, Mine Lords of the Last Sea, which is from Dark Sun. And so this was like, wait, are they going to be in a Dark Sun campaign? But I think having watched, you know, the video carefully and and this, I think what they were simply saying is, hey, if you look at the history of Penny Arcade, you know, one of the things that happened back then was with their PvP podcast and their their Dark Sun game that they did um, when they were practically inventing streaming, if not actually inventing it for 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 RPGs. So. Mm So I think this was more a callback to that original history rather than telling us that Dark Sun is on its way or will be a uh, part of the, the the campaign because the campaign really does seem to be sort of 
uh, centered on certainty going back in time and, and what that'll mean. But I think a big question is, you know, is Jim Dark, Dark Magic going to be back? Mm-hmm. Uh, what format will it be? And what's the Kickstarter going to involve? Is it going to be, um, you know, what, will there be a new book? Will there be, you know, who knows what's going to be a part of it? Um, there is a Acquisitions Incorporated mailing list. The link is in our show notes. You can click on that link and sign up and be amongst the first to know when it comes up. And then we also included the st- start of the stream on Twitch and the end of the recording where you can see that uh, the uh, video and, and sort of how they wrap it up. It's a pretty fun ending. And boy, what a wild, wild ride the Ack Inc. storyline has been. So. <laughs> yeah, so many years and so many great stories and so much chaos. Yeah. Uh, bringing lots and lots of people into the game. So thank you to Penny Arcade and all the people that have contributed to Acquisitions Incorporated over the years, including you, Taz. So thank thank you. And you, Sean. And Scott. <laughs> and so many yeah. others. <laughs> yep. Uh, we've talked about Adventures League earlier. There is now an ad- adaptation guide for Dragons of Stormwreck Isle to make it Adventures League legal. So instead of a PDF, there's a blog post announcing how to run this uh, box set as an AL adventure. Um, it, it's it's super, there. That, yeah, it's super simple, it's, you know, which is why I think it's a blog post. But I would just say again, boy, you got to make it easy for people to find everything. And recently someone said to me, hey, where do I find the adaptation guide for hardback? And I went to the website and, and it's not there because I guess it's still in some sort of draft form. And I wish all these things were just in one place. And even if it's in draft form, put the PDFs up, make it easy for folks to find it. So, yeah, if you're having this kind of problem, the easiest way to hear about this is to sign on to the D&D Discord. And there is an AL updates channel, though, of course, that's going to move to D&D Beyond soon. So it's a little bit hard. Mm-hmm. Yep. Last but not least, I wanted to give a shout out to my brethren at Ghostfire Gaming. We have a campaign on backer kit to fund citadel of the unseen sun as a single product so citadel of the unseen sun was our very first fable which was a subscription service where you would get one month's worth of adventure content each month for six months ending with a full campaign that you would have and it was well received, although many people said, I don't want to get into a subscription service, so I would rather just buy it wholesale. And we thought about it, and we thought about it, and then once the subscription service ended, we thought, we'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do. So we partnered with BackerKit to promote and fund this new uh, project, which is gathering all the material and putting it out in physical form. So at BackerKit, you can back tier one, which are the six hardcover adventures in a slipcase. So this will total well over 500 pages of content in a one to 13 5e campaign. Tier two, you get that uh, six book hardcover series in a slipcase, plus town and regional uh, poster map sets, a tactical poster map set, and a token punch board set so you can punch out all of the monsters that you face in token form and use them on some of these tactical poster maps. Uh, once this show drops, you'll have about six days left to back this. 
Uh, it ends on December 15th at 4 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you were a subscriber to the Citadel of the Unseen Sun Fable, you get a discount on this uh, hardcover book set. So you can uh, take advantage of that, which is what I did. I uh, yep. I thought that was super cool. I uh, backed it as a, as a subscriber. And so to get this email that was like, here's this super low discount, uh, super big discount, <laughs> low price to get the slip case. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll absolutely do this. This is a really nice price. So it made me feel good that, you know, if you like paper a little more than digital, well, hey, you can still back the digital run it then and you'll get a, a um, you know, if this happens in the future, well, that's a really nice way that they take care of you. Yeah. And this, this was, I did not work on this. This was the brainchild of James Hake and the freelancers mm -hmm. uh, and the production team at, at Ghostfire Gaming. I'm in the middle of running it. I'm in the third adventure of the six and my players are really enjoying it. And I'm enjoying using it, uh, doing some minor tweaks, but you know, having a fun time with the story that James and the freelancers put together. So I, even though I work for Ghostfire Gaming, I'm not getting uh, any, yeah. anything out of this. So I just wanted to give, give the Sean seal of approval on, on the adventure. Yeah, me too. Now on to our main topic, which is looking at the brand new spiffy unearthed arcana packet number three, of the one D&D playtest, looking at clerics, the life domain subclass, new species rules for the Ardling, Dragonborn, and Goliath. Wow. And a few other little fun doodads in there as well. Whew. So we have a new we have a new class. Now we see what the one D&D playtest is going to do with classes. Let's start with the clerics. The clerics are members of the priest group, along with druids and paladins. And I just want to say, clerics have always been very problematic for me, not because of who, who they are, but because of how different they can be from each other. A potential story, world building, power is somewhat restricted or made incongruous with the mechanics. So what I mean by this is you are telling me that a cleric of the love God and the cleric mm -hmm. of the war God are going to have the same abilities. It's, it's hard to do that with a single mechanic. And so I've always had that problem with, with this going all the way back to, you know, as, as early as you would have a God and it affected your abilities mm -hmm. in D and D I've always had issues with that and it's not it's not that they've done it poorly it's just it's very hard to do there's always something that doesn't quite fit depending on what kind of deities or what kind of pantheons you're dealing with um when it, when we get to turn on dead i'll have a lot to say about that <laughs> uh and I'll, I'll just leave leave that there yeah i'll let you have get a word in edgewise here well yeah um Clerics are strange, you know, it's like initially they didn't have spells at first and 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 then, you know, there have been all kinds of, of issues with they became as powerful as fighters through spells and and just, yeah, the game has struggled with how to give them a role. But I honestly think where fifth edition is, is pretty good. So my big question going to this is, well, why are we messing with the cleric? What are you what are you trying to do? I find the cleric to be quite playable class. 
if we're going to do anything to it, it would probably be to go a little more towards 4e where you say that hey the cleric isn't sort of as tied into the the kind of healing role that healing is a little easier to do in an auxiliary form um which again fifth edition does reasonably well so it's not a big problem um looking at it much of what you see in the 2014 version is still in this unearthed arcana but what really happens is there are some tweaks to when things come into play and i think a lot of it is around the fact that they're putting in subclasses so it's almost like hey we need to change the subclass to no longer be at first level that all classes must have them starting at third therefore the cleric being one that got it at first level where you chose what your god is it has to move into third and so therefore let's just end up making all these little changes and that's fine um i think the biggest thing that people ask themselves the question i saw a lot on on mastodon and other places was people saying what's going on here i'm level one cleric i don't have my divine domain now because that's a subclass i'm going to get it a third so for my first two levels do i know who my deity is and mm -hmm. I don't have a problem with that, with what's happening, but I think that they want, they should explain that, right? That, that we should get an understanding of what it means to be a level one cleric. Um, mm -hmm. Because I think that needs readdressing, right? I'm, I'm obviously receiving spells. So what, you know, what is my faith and what does it mean when at level three, I'm choosing a domain, but I've played two levels worth of play. What do you think about that, Sean? I think it is a problem that's not very difficult to solve. And as you said, you can still pick a deity, a pantheon, a a tenant, a belief, a you know a, a moral to live by, mm -hmm. and you are still getting your power from a greater being than you that represents that. And you can you you are worshiping the the goddess of love and then at third level you're like okay i need to choose this uh, a domain a subclass i'm going to take you know destruction that's fine i i can you can as a player see the destructive nature of love and make <laughs> a fun character with that or the opposite right your your god is of war but you can then at a at third level you know, take peace as your domain and just say, well, where there's war, there's peace. So <laughs> I am, I worship the God of war, but I want to right curtail his power and let him rest by bringing about peace. You can do all of those uh -huh. things. As long as the game tells you at first level, you are, you should choose something that you believe in, that your character believes in. It's, it could I, simply be. We, a, we pause and just, I think you've yeah. pretty much everyone listening to this is going to play one of these two clerics you've just described because these are both great concepts. Right. <laughs> like, follow and, the war got to shoot peace is great. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it could be, you could do anything with any domain, uh -huh. right? You could be the worship the fire God, but take the ice domain. You, yeah. you it could, it could be, it could be anything if you so, make the domains so yeah. that they fit. 100% on board the rules don't tell me that right and exactly and, and that's the key where i do think everybody's comments are valid that there needs to be a little something that tells you what's up here right mm -hmm. like at level right. one pick your god or 
pick a concept or, you know, tell me where you are in the in the process, because I'm not like a regular character that might just pick a deity. This should be different. And I should understand the nature of what's happening here, I think. And then similarly, yeah, at level three, tell me what that next piece remains, right? You're choosing the domain. And what you said is awesome, right? Like, I wish the book would tell me, hey, you can play against type, right? You're following the war god, but it's because you want to achieve peace, right? Like, that's those kinds of things are great. None of it is here. And, and I, so I, I love what yeah. you're saying. And I, I want to see that show up. Yeah, like I said, it's not a difficult fix. It's a paragraph or two of of flavor text yeah. that just describes that and gives you examples uh, of different things you could do. And then not only are you making it work for people that want to play two type, you know, obviously, right? The destruction domain yeah, and, yeah. and the war deity yeah. makes sense. You could go in so many different directions and, and make some really cool characters. So, so I, I'm not I'm not afraid yeah. of that at all. So, Sean, instead of getting this domain choice, what you get at first level is what used to be at second level, Channel Divinity, your favorite. It's back. And you get two options mm. right off the bat, Turn Undead and Divine Spark. So everybody has not one thing in common. They have two things in common. Um, and you don't get it once, as it was before, and then later get it more. You get it uh, proficiency bonus number of times. And now refreshed only in a long rest, not on a short rest. So more times up front, longer refresh. Uh, and the two options, Divine Spark is, is, is a dual option. So you can use it to either heal a number of D8s equal to your proficiency bonus to one target within 30 feet, or deal damage using those D8s to a target and they get a con save for half damage. So nice little offensive uh, capability. Turn Undead is now imposing the Dazed Condition, which is new in this packet. So they can only, and it says that if they dash, they must move away. There's some lack of clarity there that I, I don't know what the undead really has to do, but I think the intent is what they're doing is since they can only take one, do one thing on their turn, either an action or move, they must move. And since they must move, they must dash away. So it's pretty similar just mm -hmm. using the verbiage from the new packet. Um, it's significantly stronger than the, the new the current cleric, uh, the 2014 cleric, because you're getting this feature way earlier and more times per mm -hmm. day, right? Go into some undead filled tomb and you can turn twice, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and or heal more or whatever. And so it's it's kind of interesting to see this as a bit of a power up, I think. Yeah, I I have a lot of problem with turn undead. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. This I like I like the divine spark in that it's something as I mentioned at first, it's something that bridges that chasm between different, drastically different kinds of clerics being able to do the same things here. Okay. You can heal or you can hurt. You can make a claim that any kind of cleric worshiping any kind of deity could make those work. Turn undead for me, story-wise, there are some cleric so i i have no idea why they can turn undead i don't know what their god has to do with undeath uh but it's there so i don't like well, turn undead it's as a, a story thing from our world right which is the idea exactly. that, that priests hold back have domain over the dead and hold back um right. you know whatever like like you know anything that would go wrong which is often around this idea of undeath and mm -hmm. possession yeah. and ghosts and spirits and whatever Shh. I can get behind that sort of 
but I don't <laughs> like it as a mechanic either mm. because it's just an unbalancing mechanic in terms of adventure design and encounter design. Um, a lot of times it makes a little sense story-wise. The rule here is just bizarre. Uh, you know, I understand why it was written this way. The only action the, the creature can take when it's turned is the dash action. And if it moves, it must end that move further from you than where it started. So you're holding out your holy symbol and saying, be gone, follow spirits, and they step five feet away from you. And uh, okay, everything's good. And well, I mean, I, they can't act, mm -hmm. but you know, everything's good. It's, and then everybody it's just beats so, only one of them because it ends when right. they take damage. So, mm -hmm. and, and it's just, it's so, it's not like anything else in the game. And it takes this one kind of monster and makes encounters with that kind of monster sort of weird and irrelevant. And it, it, if you, it, again, it's resource management as well. Yeah. If you're in an, if you're in an adventure where you have 12 encounters in a row and each one is with low level undead, all right, you the first time you can take care of it, but then you still, if you run in where there's only two encounters and both encounters contain a large number of undead. Well, you just sort of made that whole encounter weird, yeah. right? Because it is still the, a saving yeah. throw, but but yeah, we've all seen this. If you've played D and D through a bunch of editions, yeah, it just it becomes you know like oh I I I have a very good wisdom uh, bonus, and so the save is hard, and, or a spellcasting bonus, and so the save is a hard one. Wisdom is not always something that monsters have a lot of, especially in dead. So now they, you know, all run for the hills and everybody fights one at a time and it was all easy. And and now it's happening more times per day. <laughs> so, yeah. Because, I mean, three times, yeah. you, you know, if you get to the next uh, level of play, next proficiency bonus, and you've got three times a day, that's a lot, right? That's a lot of rooms of skeletons or zombies you're just laughing at. And because of the because of the way that it's working now, uh, the, I think the DC is going to tend to be a little harder more often because one of the things that happens in fifth edition is it becomes less likely that it'll work at higher levels. But this, I think, mm -hmm. makes it probably a little more effective as well. So, Yeah, I mean, I would almost rather have it be a spell mm. that certain that certain clerics mm. could cast mm. and do something different to make to make it interesting combat wise. Rather than just this weird, all right, everything runs away. We beat on the one. All right, he's no longer turned, but you can all beat on the one. Go track down the next one. Beat on him. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's sure. make it a 30-foot radius around the cleric that they can't get into unless they make their save. Then you can have characters dodging in and out of this zone that they can't get into. And your archers and your spellcasters could stay yeah. in it. And it, it becomes a little at least more interesting rather than just this whole runaway thing. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I hear you. But yeah, uh, I will continue on with spellcasting. Uh, they have the same number of spells per level as before. Uh, we get a suggested spell list uh, and then ones you can pick your own. Cantrips are now uh, called zero level spells. And the prepared spells must be on the divine list. Um, then you can pick new ones and restore slots at the end of a long rest as before. Yeah. So level two, is, you know, now there's no channel divinity or domain feature. So when we get this uh, thing called holy order and the holy order feature is you choose a sacred role, which may be part of a religious order. 
and we get one of three roles. Protector, Scholar, Thaumaturge. Protector, you get proficiency with martial weapons, heavy armor. Scholar, two skills from a list. Uh, and you, when you make checks with them, you add your wisdom modifier as a bonus. These are arcana, history, nature, persuasion, religion. So sort of like knowledge areas. And what's cool about that is that this finally corrects the gap where you would say like, hey, I want to know something about the religion in this temple and they'd be great, make me an intelligence religion check and you would fail because you're a priest and you have a good wisdom. Now you can add your wisdom bonus. Um, mm -hmm. So that's interesting. What do you think, Sean? Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. I like this holy order idea. And I like this idea of the scholar in particular being able to add their wisdom bonus. Mm -hmm. I would get rid of persuasion mm. and I would just keep it yeah. as the intelligence-based ones. Right. Uh, otherwise, you might as well add uh, deception to it because you might have a, a cleric that's going to use yeah. uh, their thing. Or uh, what's the other one? Intimidation, right? Or right. the priest bears down on you and, and yeah. you are intimidated by it. So charisma is a little more of, of a likely thing. So you, I think, you know, you, this is sort of a makeup, not a yep. bolster. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. Yeah. That's good feedback. Yep. Thaumaturge well, I, is the I like, third. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I was, I was going to say Thaumaturge yeah. is the third one. And you gain one extra zero level spell from the divine list. Uh, and you also, when you finish a short rest, you can regain one channel divinity use. Mm -hmm. And I like what they're doing here. This is addressing the problem that I had that I talked about at the beginning, which is you have so many different kinds of clerics. The designers have acknowledged that here. They've acknowledged the fact that we are going to have clerics that are more fightery types. So let's give those those clerics the protector. We're going to have the more cloistered types. So let's give mm -hmm. them the scholar. We're going to have the more magic focused types. So let's give them the thaumaturge. And I would like to see this expanded even used a little more than it is mm -hmm. either with more types mm -hmm. or with more skills as you or more abilities or stronger abilities as you increase in uh level. Yeah. I mean, let's go ahead and, and cut to the fact that you are going to get this again at level nine and right. I've now called Holy order, okay, same name, Holy order. And basically what they say is pick another of these three. And I'm like, whoa, I really liked uh, yeah. Holy Order at level two, but now just take another. Like, I, I yeah. feel like there should be different choices. Right. As the protector, if you chose protector, you can now blank. You get this yeah. other thing. If you took scholar, you can do these things. If you took thaumaturge, you get these extra abilities or these stronger abilities. That's what I want. Yeah, or, or, or sort of like if this is like representing sort of, um, you know, the this this ethos that you have around this, maybe level nine could be, you know, at this point in your career, here are the kinds of choices you're making, right? And, and let's dig into that. Because uh, otherwise it just become it, it's too easy for it to become like a, a power dip or, you know, it feels like you're just collecting mm -hmm. features rather than concepts. And so I'd rather it be another concept, but, but that's over at level mm -hmm. nine. Um, yeah. Level three, we have subclasses, the, the life domain we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, level four is feet or ability score improvement. Level five, we now get instead of destroy undead, which was sort of the ability to use your channel divinity to kill, uh, to just wipe out the undead entirely, we get smite undead. So what happens now is when you turn undead, you can roll a proficiency bonus number of d8s, and the undead who fail their save and are turned also take this extra damage, which presumably doesn't end them being turned since he did damage to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I never liked yeah. really destroying undead. The whole looking up the table and finding that no, you know, the CR is too high or whatever. I, I sort of felt like that never worked well play wise. So yeah, uh, at fifth level, you're if assuming that you're all cleric, um, you you're you're rolling three d eight. So yeah, that's nine, ten, twelve, thirteen points of damage to things. So that that's yeah, that's you're decent. Not, you're not killing a zombie, but uh, but it's. Right. You know, it's it's something that matters, especially since it's AOE, so it's pretty good. Well, it's radiant damage too, so against oh, undead yeah. that may have a big That's that's uh, pretty cool. Yeah. 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 yeah uh, level six is a subclass feature. Level seven used to be nothing, and, and the cleric has more nothing levels than anywhere before, um, or any other class, but now we get blessed strikes. And this is kind of a little bit like you know, you, you could choose the proficiency in, in heavy weapons and armor. This is the same kind of thing. It's a thing that we used to see in certain domains brought into the core. So Blessed Strikes is you can deal 1d8 radiant once per turn when you hit with a cantrip or a weapon, right? So it sort of bakes in that ability. Um, I find it a little unexciting. as a, It feels like a math fix to me. I never liked it before when subclasses had this. Um, but it now makes me think, gee, how does this interact with, say, a tasha's subclass that gives me this as well do i get both i'm making the i don't know sign <laughs> so this is one of these compatibility things that if it's the same thing well then i didn't get a feature mm -hmm. if it's both well now i'm adding 2d8 is that really what the game intends um, in the video, Crawford talks about how they're going to, you know, tweak some things and stuff. So I think that's the kind of thing they'll have to ask because it creates that kind of compatibility question. Um, but I guess, yeah, you know, so you get to do a D8 to try to keep you a little more competitive with other classes. Level eight to feet again. Nine is that holy order we talked about. Ten is subclass. Eleven is what used to be a tenth level divine intervention. Basically the same kind of thing, which is that you appeal to your to your deity. I know a lot of players forget to do this. I have one player in, in one of my groups that loves doing this and role plays it and makes a big deal about it at the beginning of the table and then sees whether they can get away with, you know, some cool spell being uh, cast. Um, so this is the same as before. The interval between successes is now 2d6 days instead of seven. So the average is the same, but we roll. Okay. Yeah. Levels 12 to 17 is feet subclass or nothing. There's kind of nothing to talk about here. Level 18 is greater divine intervention. And so this is kind of like before. It used to be your level 20 ability. You now succeed without a roll to call on your deity. And it refreshes every 2d4 days instead of 2d6. Okay, fine. Level 19 to feet. Level 20 is your epic boon. I'm on record for not loving epic boons, but they're still here. <laughs> yeah. And then we get yeah. our prepared spell list of what they think you should take, which I think is great. You know, and you make it easy for those people who uh, want to not choose spells. Here you go. Take that. And that takes us to the life domain subclass, Sean. Yeah. So this is interesting in the sense that it's not terribly different than the life domain that we had before. Mm -hmm. So at third level, you get those domain spells. And although the spell list has changed, um, you, you no longer get level one spells mm -hmm. since the domain starts at third. Makes sense. Um, at third level, you get discipline of life. It's the same as before. You're adding two plus a spell level to healing amounts of your spells. And you can now 
Uh, but it now says for the turn, you cast the spell only to prevent bad interactions. Yeah, and so. I forget, someone told me there's something in Tasha's that is pretty problematic with, with the way this works. So this kind of says only on this turn, right? You get a bonus to healing amount, but only on the turn that you cast this spell, not for future. Mm -hmm. Even if the spell's ongoing, it doesn't keep ticking off extra amounts. Well, it's like Goodberry, yeah. right? It's you cast Goodberry and then every berry does one plus mm -hmm. something as opposed to just one hit die. That's one of the ways I saw it used. Uh, okay. Mm -hmm. um, at sixth level, you have Preserve Life. This is the same as it was before, but it no longer prevents uh, healing an undead or construct. Uh, tenth level, Blessed Healer. Same as before, but it clarifies that it requires a spell slot rather than being a level one or higher. And then fourteenth level, level clarification. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at fourteenth level, supreme healing is the same as it was before. Okay. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it's it shows that they were happy with the life domain. I think from before and didn't you know clarification here, a tweak there, but nothing really um, yeah. that stands out as as terribly different. It was one of the stronger ones, so I'm glad it didn't get stronger right because it was surprising to me to, to look at the rogue class in the last pack and think well the rogue is one of the you know classes everybody loves wait they made it stronger huh interesting so glad this being a favorite it already worked it it basically is the same good mm -hmm. all right uh you want to talk about the ardling yeah so we get three species in here ardling the story has been refined and tightened to be an evolution of celestial animals in the beast lands in the upper plains still not sure why this would be in a core book but i felt that way about dragonborn and ended up loving them so maybe it'll be fine um well i'm gonna tell you why yeah Chaos. go for it i'm gonna tell you why because people love anthropomorphic species uh now not all people but enough people mm -hmm. you know you got the I couldn't even remember all of the anthropomorphic species that we ended up getting by the end. We have turtle, we have tabaxi, we have the gif, we have the loxodon. Uh, I, we could go on and on. And what's the what's the rabbit one? Um, oh yeah, the the. I have a player playing right now. Yeah, yeah, Herringon. the herringon. Uh, yeah, all of those, and they they want people to have that ability to play the cute little furry thing or the the big uh, gif thing yeah. but they don't want to have to create 27 different anthropomorphic species so what they're doing here is they're saying hey you can play any anthropomorphic species you want you could play the badger people you could play the skunk people you could play any other people you want you can just use this but what they got you know the feedback said this is too much the beast lands what so they're like yeah let's not even worry about the beast lands Let's just give you the ability to make any of these little funny, fuzzy species that you like. That's yeah. the answer. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, yeah, it is kind of funny. <laughs> and just to, to rattle some of these off. So like bear, cat, lizard, squirrel, bat, eagle, owl, raven, deer, dog, horse, triceratops, crocodile, dolphin, frog, shark. Those are your options for the Ardling. Oh, boy. Um, so before they could all fly. Now you get to choose your mode of transport, and this translates to an animal. You're a climber, or you're a flyer, or a racer, or a swimmer. And they do things that give you a climb speed once per turn with an unarmed strike that deals extra damage. You know, that's the climber. Flyer, you can use your reaction to fall and take no damage, and you gain advantage on jump checks. Racers, 
Take the dash action. Your speed increases for that action by 10 times your proficiency bonus. That's a good boost. Um, you know, 20 right off the bat. Swimmer, you can hold your breath for up to an hour at a time. Swim speed equal to your speed and resistance to cold damage. You know, there are going to be some here that are way more popular than others, obviously, due to just the kind of environments you, you tend to face. But, uh, but yeah, maybe you're just so in love with that Triceratops face that you've got to get for yourself that you're going to be down with the Ardlings. Um, you know, the Thaumaturgy spell is interesting to sort of represent that divinity you have. And then I don't understand this wording at all, Sean. Help me here. You know the Thaumaturgy spell. When you finish a long rest, you can replace it with a different zero-level spell from the Divine list. Doesn't that mean that I just know all Divine cantrips and I just choose one? Oh, boy. that You can innately channel minor Divine magic. You know the Thaumaturgy spell. Whenever you finish a long rest, you can replace that spell with a different zero-level spell from the Divine list. Yeah. I mean, unless so I'm role-playing on the say, day I was born, I think I just know all cantrips yeah, and choose any cantrip from the divine all spell divine. Yeah. Yeah, that was weird. Yep. Yeah, um, that was weird. You have proficiency in perception, because I guess regardless of what your form is, you've got great ears. And mm -hmm. there's no more of this choice of legacy where they tried to do a sort of almost, like, you know, exalted, heavenly idea, like almost like alignment, plane-based. Uh, and and what I really love is there's no more of this look at this table of type versus spells that you get as bonus spells. I'm really gl glad that's gone. They used to also be resistant to rating damage. So I like it better. I still, I don't know that I needed this. Like, as you said, there are a lot of animal things. And I could have, I'd almost more easily sign on and saying, you know, make the tabaxi core. Or, you know, another one that's sort of a fan favorite. I don't know that we need this as a core oh, hey i could be wrong everybody yeah. let me know I mean, how wrong i am it's oh i will let you know how wrong you are right now uh no it's i i i feel like the the dnd world is split on these so these anthropomorphic animals or anthropomorphic races right some people love them and and you know the, all the jokes that go along with playing a cat or all the the jokes that go along with playing these different these different uh species they love that and then you get the people that just roll their eyes right oh i'm dming and I, i've got this super serious game the elves versus the dwarves versus the orcs and then in comes right the menagerie it's pt barnum coming in with <laughs> with, with yeah. the circus full of yeah. and they just they roll their eyes at it and the eye rolling is partially because there isn't a great world building story for many if not any of these creatures mm -hmm. so i can see the the designers being tasked with doing this impossible thing of making the people that don't like these sorts of characters like them because they have a history to them mm -hmm. but the history didn't work for the first touch you know the first thing and so now they're trying something else i don't know if it's possible to get the peanut butter and chocolate loving uh fans out there to yeah. to come to a reese's moment 
Um, yeah, and, and it may yeah. be that we just have to kind of like get over it, right? Because Dragonborn, I mean, if I think about it hard enough, I go, why are you like, what, how many dragons are out there causing Dragonborn to exist or, or what ancient civilization? And so when the, when it, it isn't like during Fori where there's an explanation why the Dragonborn were in the Forgotten Realms, it's sort of like, where did you all, what's the world? Exp okay, we just forget about it. It's fun to breathe fire or ice or whatever. And so here we go. Yeah. Speaking of Dragonborn. Speaking of Dragonborn, yeah. Uh, I'm going to let you talk about the Dragonborn. Yeah, so it, the, the previous UA was just a 15-foot cone, and I guess that saw some complaints. So now you can choose, is it a cone or a line? Up to you. Is that better? I don't know. I think what people wanted was the sort of like acid is a line, you know, fire is a cone, but I, whatever. Um, I don't know that that was a big issue for me. Uh, before we had damage of 1d10 plus character level, now it's back to 1d10 and you add a die, extra die at certain levels, so it's 2d10 at 5th, another 11th, and so on. You no longer speak Draconic? Okay. Instead, at 5th level, you can temporarily sprout wings as a bonus action and fly for 10 minutes, refreshes with long rest. I don't love this version better, Sean. I'll just say it. Yeah, once you get 20 different versions out there, it's hard to reconcile them all. Yeah, well, so. I also just, I think this undermines, they just finished doing versions for fizz bands. I don't, you know, and, and I don't know that people were super complaining about much in the 2014 version. Like, just do the tiny little bit of polish, polish someone might have wanted then. I don't, you know, but yeah, Goliath. People will complain about everything, <laughs> and I'm going to complain yeah. about Goliath. No, I'm actually not. Um, so as a Goliath, your move is now... 35 it was 30 in Morden Canaan's and we get a stronger link to the giant uh ancestor that you have come from you get to choose your ancestry with a different choice for each giant type so for the cloud giant you get clouds jaunt as a bonus action you can magically teleport up to 30 feet to an unoccupied space you can see misty step cool mm -hmm. fires burn from the fire giant when you hit a target with an attack roll and deal damage you can also add a d10 fire damage to the target okay frost chill from the frost giant you can see what's coming here attack roll you deal damage you get an extra d6 of cold damage and its speed is reduced 10 feet until the start of your next turn eh, okay hills tumble hill giant when you hit a large or smaller creature with an attack roll and deal damage you can knock that target prone Stone's Endurance from the Stone Giant. When you take damage, use your reaction, roll a d12, add your con modifier, and reduce the damage by that total. And Storm Giant is Storm's Thunder. When you take damage from a creature within 60 feet of you, use your reaction to deal a d8 thunder damage to that creature. You can mm -hmm. use all of these equal to the your proficiency, proficiency bonus, bonus per long rest. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm, they're, I'm, I'm cool. Yeah. Pretty powerful, uh, some of these. Yeah. You know, I think they're highly desirable. They're fun things that people would want. Mm -hmm. uh, the fifth level, again, we get this fifth level thing. I'm like, oh, wait, are they going to give every species a fifth level thing? So at fifth level, you can take large form and gain the ability as a bonus action, become large if there's enough space. Last 10 minutes or can end early with a bonus action. Um, you have advantage on strength checks and your speed is increased by 10 feet once per long rest. Probably the biggest thing is that you can increase the area effect of some spells or the number of targets you could hit, but that's probably not too big a problem, hopefully. Mm -hmm. 
a powerful build. Advantage on saving throws to end the grappled condition. Makes sense. Uh, count as one size larger for determining carrying capacity and push, pull, and lift weights. Do you know the rules offhand on push, pull, and lift weights? Uh, it's based on your strength, how much you can do it, right? Or Yeah. I, I See, I had to look this up because I have a character who is driving me absolutely around the bend with his grappling and trying oh. to move people around. Uh-huh. So I actually had to look up. And he's a loxodon, so he's trying to do it with his trunk. That's um, awesome. So so it's, yeah, so it's it interesting. It's, uh, you can lift up to 15 times your strength. Okay. It's it's quite a bit, right? It's even with a 10 strength, it's like you can move 300 pounds. And then if you try to, maybe it's move 300. And then if you try to lift, it's 15 times. Um, mm-hmm. But then you sort of become encumbered. And so that does a whole thing as well. And that's getting into encumbrance, which is a little weird. So it's a it's an area of the rules that I don't even want to bother with, but a character is doing some grappling and picking up yeah. enemies and moving. So I now need to do that. So I guess this can make you a better grappler. I don't see it come up really in any other situations. And I don't even know that for grappling, I've seen DMs look this up, which is interesting. I, I think this is fine. I, you know, uh, it's interesting. It has more. I, I generally like menus of choices. I just don't know. You know, again, it's not like this is so much better than the previous version that I'm like, oh, yeah, finally, I want to play Goliath. Like, Goliath was always fine. Yeah. Yep. You know what? We are at uh, a long time and we still have yeah. feats and all the updates to the glossary to go. So I was going to to give us a cutoff here and we can always talk about it next week when we get into chapter nine of the player's handbook, which is all about combat. So a lot of that we will be covering there anyway. Anything you want to add before we head toward the exit? Yeah. Okay. So thank you, Teos, for sharing your insight with us. And thank you to our patrons for helping us keep this show afloat. Thank you to our Master of Dungeons supporters. We give a special shout out to our Master of Realms supporters in our show notes. And for our Masters of the Multiverse, you get a special shout out right now. Craig Bailey, Steve Bissonette, Evil John, Darren Chandler, Robin Dermy. Andy Edmonds at Nerdronomicon. I could finally say it right. Ben F., Ben Heisler, and Paige Lightman. Brian King, Travis Lee, Eric Mengi, Nayan Akra, Falcon Neal, Drago Russo, Krishna Simonse. Have a safe flight back from PAX to the Netherlands. David Somerville of the Planagia RPG setting. Joe Tyler, Graham Ward, John Wilson, and a special shout out to Sean Hurst. Congratulations to you and to Liz and your new baby, Xander. We could not be happier for you. It's wonderful. Thanks to our listeners as well. If you like the show, please consider supporting the Patreon at patreon.com slash mastering DND. What have you been up to in the social media world, Teos? Uh, success in RPG videos, and I just sent out to the Patreon folks some questions. I've been getting feedback on the next success in RPG, uh, which I'm going to be wild enough to tackle the question of social media, Sean. Mm. 
So that is we're going to come up with some advice for that. Um, you can find me at uh, alphastream.org and at alphastream on Mastodon and Twitter. I'm using Twitter less as I switch to Mastodon more and more. How about you, Sean? Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find me on Twitter still at Sean Merwin. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Mastering D&D. And now the podcast is on Mastodon at Dice.Camp. Um, you can join our community and ask questions on Patreon. You can also leave comments and questions on the Mastering Dungeons YouTube channel. If our voice isn't enough for you and you need to see our smiling faces, that's where you can go. Hey, Teos. Yes. What a recording. So what are we going to do now? Uh, we're going to jump into a dis- into a <laughs> into displaced reason. We're going to jump into a gelatinous cube and come out the other side. Do I need to shower if I do that? I think that that's the best exfoliant money can buy. Uh, so, so I've heard. It burns like hygiene. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>